2 Corinthians 5. I want us to look at uh, just verse 16 today, where Paul says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. If you've been a Christian any length of time, you may have heard a message, hopefully not from me, uh, but it's possible, anything's possible. But you may have heard a message maybe on a radio or a special meeting at a camp somewhere where a preacher states his text, and I refer to these sometimes as a diving board or a springboard sermon, where they take the text, they say it, and then they jump off and they never return to it. In fact, they'll take it and uh, you have no idea what does that statement, that's what a verse is, what does that statement have to do with the context, the immediate context where it was written, the context of the book. I haven't been preaching through 2 Corinthians. I'm preaching in Ecclesiastes. Um, so I want to help us understand what, what was going on here and why do I want us to listen to what Paul says here in this single statement in verse 16. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. We're going to be looking, I'm going to be bringing some messages about who Jesus is this uh, month. Prophet, priest, king, God, perfect God and perfect man, united together in that what, we, what theologians call the hypostatic union. Um, born of a virgin, conceived of a virgin. Everybody during this Christmas season, I shouldn't say everybody, most everybody during this Christmas season likes a little Jesus in their Christmas time. It hurts to say it that way. They like it because it gives them good feelings. The red, the green, the silver, the tinsel, uh, the... The, the Christmas trees and the decorations, the happy family times. Some like it for the good deals they get at stores. Some like it for the presents that they get. Everybody looks at Christmas, and even though they want to uh, have nothing, many want to have nothing to do with Jesus, he's kind of hard to get away from, isn't he? Because... What is this time called? Mary Christ? Christ? We're, that's who we're focusing on? So some say happy holidays instead. Why are there so many different viewpoints about the same Jesus? Why do some hate him and seek to remove every trace? Why do some just kind of endure Jesus? Why would just kind of go through it? Why do some like him for reasons that I said before? The good feelings, the family times, the experiences. Uh, he's nice to have around. But then there are those, and I think you know this kind of person, that love him, that give their lives for him, that would readily suffer and go without for him, that love believers regardless of what that believer looks like, how much money that believer might have, who they are in this world. 
why are there so many different opinions, beliefs, assessments of who Jesus is? Their view of Jesus comes from somewhere. And as Paul tells us here in this verse, it comes from somewhere and it affects how they view everyone. From now on, we know, he says, we, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. He is saying here, when I was an unbeliever, I had an opinion about Jesus, and that, what, that standard that controlled my opinion about Jesus, that standard is how I viewed others. Now that I'm a Christian, Paul says, my standard's completely changed. That standard's my orientation, my uh, assessment, that, that measure of the, the means of judging, evaluating about Jesus is completely changed, and consequently, we know no one after the flesh, the beginning of verse 16. How I view everyone, it's completely changed. And so, somebody can know a lot about Jesus, but not know Jesus. They can know a lot about Jesus, but not know Jesus. What was the situation at the church at Corinth here in 2 Corinthians? What was going on and why did Paul write this letter? Quick uh, summary here. And let me also say, I apologize for the sermon outline that I gave you here. If you look at the front, you look at the back. Boy, I gave you the whole nine yards, didn't I? I gave you very little room for writing extensive notes. Uh, either I gave you everything and it's going to be a quick sermon or you just got to re write really tiny. Well, it depends on the kind of notes that you take, but I apologize for that. You might want to have a notebook or something like that if you want to take other notes. I give you no space for this introduction. What was going on here? Well, in chapters 1 and 2, Paul deals with a problem that was there in the, the Corinthian church. They accused Paul basically of being fickle. Paul was fickle. Paul said he was going to do one thing, and then he did something completely different. Now that happens with us, doesn't it? Where we say we're going to do something, and then we just completely, what? Forget about it, okay? They're accusing Paul of something entirely different, of basically lying. He didn't do what he said he would do. He said he was going to come visit, but he didn't go visit. And Paul addresses that. Another thing in chapters 3 through 7 is that the Corinthians were being led astray by false teachers. They were being led astray by false teachers. Their eyes, these Corinthians, they were just enamored by external appearance. These false teachers, they were something to look at. They had good speaking ability. They could take the Mosaic Law and they could really spin a yarn on it. They could tell you all kinds of things, things I never saw that in the text before. Uh, footnote, if somebody preaches something and you say, I never saw that in the Bible before, you might want to just stop a second and say, maybe it wasn't there to begin with. I mean, there are times when you're like, I never read that before, I never saw it. Yeah, you did, you just, the light bulb wasn't on. But when they have to take it and they get into numerology, you know, they backtrack all the numbers, and the middle word here is, that you gotta, you gotta, you know, the red light should be going on right there. This is the kind of thing that was going on with the false teachers. They did a, a version of prosperity theology 
God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And they were being led astray from that. And they looked at Paul in comparison with these false teachers, and Paul wasn't anything special to look at. He wasn't a good speaker. And wherever Paul went, he's getting beat up and rejected. Why should we follow Paul when we are these guys? And so Paul addressed that. Another thing that was happening in chapters 8 to 9 is the Corinthians said that they were going to help with some giving. And they weren't following through on that. And then the last part. They judged by outward appearance. They compared themselves by themselves. And Paul says in chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. And so they, they viewed Paul as an inferior apostle. So coming now to verse 16. We've done an overview of the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians shows what happens when a, when a church thinks, lives, and assesses according to the flesh. We can learn from the Corinthian church when their standard is your sin nature, the flesh, you will find fault with good Bible believers. You're going to view and judge false teachers by externals, not by truth. And there's going to be divisions. There's going to be fighting. There's going to be gossip and immorality. So verse 16 here, what's the first word in verse 16? It's therefore. He begins to explain what it means to live for Christ and not oneself. Verses 14 and 15. Verse 14, the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, now he explains what it means to live for Christ, to have a different standard than what he had before. Number one on your outline here. How did Paul know Christ? What did it mean that he knew Christ according to the flesh? Well, before Paul became a Christian, number one, uh, what was his outlook? What was his perspective, his way of interpreting things? You want to write this down? You'd want to go to Philippians chapter 3. He gives a good idea where he's coming from. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I kept the law to the T. I dotted every I. I crossed every T. I put the commas where they needed to go. I was a zealous Pharisee. So zealous, I persecuted the church. And so before salvation, Paul judged from that perspective, from that appearance, from outward appearances, he judged by sight. So number two, Paul's knowledge of Jesus, it was controlled by that, controlled by sin nature, a worldly outlook. That was his scale, that he weighed what he heard, what he saw, what he experienced. That was his yardstick. Now, I hesitate to use the word yardstick, but that was his yardstick by which he measured everything. 
I wanted to use the word measuring tape, but I like to use different words in a sentence so it's not redundant. But how many use a yardstick nowadays? My mom does in her sewing. Maybe you do too. Um, yardsticks growing up were handy for spanking. Me and Tom. Um, a yardstick is a yard long and you measure things by them. Paul's scale, his measuring tape or yardstick was what he viewed, what he thought, what he assessed was right. That was his standard. So number two, how did that affect how Paul regarded others, particularly Jesus of Nazareth? Several things here. Number one, he viewed Jesus, he said Jesus was a pot stirrer. And I got this expression from uh, one of our beloved members here. Jesus was a pot stirrer. He didn't keep things as they should have. He didn't keep the traditions that were established to express the law and to protect the law. He threw everything up, up, he threw everything up and, and it just made a mess of things. He stirred up the pot. Number two, Jesus was an imposter. He was an imposter. How was he an imposter? He pretended, Paul said, before he's a Christian, he pretended he was the Messiah. He said he was the Christ, the promised king of Israel. Number three, Jesus was a blasphemer. Jesus was a blasphemer. How is he a blasphemer? Jesus said he was God in the flesh. We will look at this in detail this afternoon. Jesus called the, his father. He said, I and the father are not two, but one. And he called him his father. And the Jews knew exactly what was being said there. By calling God your father, you're making yourself equal with God. This is right in John 5 and John 10. We'll look at this this afternoon. He's a blasphemer. Number four. And so Jesus deserved to be executed. This is how Paul viewed Jesus from his vantage point. As a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and a zealot. He deserved to be executed. He got what he deserved by being crucified. And then, because he was crucified, number five, he was rightly under God's curse. He was under God's curse by being crucified because it says in Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, who is held up, who is put to death, and is, he stays there as a corpse showing the world and everyone, this is what happens to blasphemers. This is what happens to those who curse God. This is what happens to those who break God's law. They are cursed. And Paul said, that's exactly who Jesus was. And he rightly got what he deserved. And this is how Paul also viewed others. Number six, how he viewed Jesus' followers. He said Jesus' followers were apostates. Jesus' followers were apostates. How were they apostates? An apostate is someone who says they're a believer, but they have gone away from it. They have fallen away. They deny it. How, how, are, they, how are Christians apostates? Well, 
They said that Jesus was the Son of God. They said that he was the Prince of Life. They accused me, Paul would have said, they accused me as a Pharisee of killing the Messiah. They made up rumors that he's risen from the dead. They said he's coming again. That he's going to judge and he's going to rule. These things just make my blood boil, Paul would have thought. And to make things worse, the more that they speak, more are believing these lies that they're saying about Jesus. And so I am going to do all I can to put this under, to put it down. And that's what Saul of Tarsus did, didn't he? Dragged men and women to jail, voted for their deaths towards these people. Number three, what causes people to know Christ according to the flesh? What was it that caused Paul to do this? And this applies to every unbeliever. Several things here. Number one, their sin natures control everything. Their sin natures control everything. Go to chapter 7, verse 1. Chapter 7, verse 1. It is the, the last statement of a paragraph that began in chapter 6 and verse 14. Chapter 6, verse 11, sorry. In chapter 6, verse 11, he says, Corinthians, our heart is open wide. We've tried to be honest and open with you guys. But your hearts are closed to us. These false teachers have had an effect on your ability to listen to me. And so you need to come out from among them. You need to be separate from those false teachers. They're affecting your willingness to listen to me. You need to be separate from them. And chapter 7, verse 1 is the conclusion of that section where he says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, Paul is not talking about the biblical basis for taking baths and showers. That's not what he's talking about here. He is talking about the flesh as the sin nature. As a Christian, you not only need to be separate from false teaching, you need to be separate from false living, and that comes from our sin natures. You must continually put it to death. But an unbeliever is ruled by his sin nature. It controls everything about him. His assessments, his judgments, his opinions, the ideas, his appraisals, his beliefs. It is the scale by which he weighs everything. It is the yardstick by which he measures everything. Number two, another reason why people know Christ according to the flesh is that their hearts and minds are controlled by Satan. Their hearts and minds are controlled by Satan. Back up to chapter 4, verse 4. Here, this is the section where Paul is dealing uh, with um, the, the, the nature of his ministry. Why aren't more people following Paul? If he was really speaking the truth, people would listen. Well, he addresses that here. And he says in verse 1, Since we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we renounce the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, 
nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by making the truth known, manifesting the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And now he gets to the point, why don't people believe the gospel? Verse 3. If our gospel's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Here it is, verse 4. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Why do people view Jesus as just a good man? Maybe a good teacher, but he wasn't God. He definitely is not the only way to salvation. Why do people view that? Because Satan blinds their eyes. Number three, because they are oriented by the world. They are oriented by the world. Now, I'm not going to have you turn to 1 John 2.16. But John says in verse 15, Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. And I think most of us remember how the rest goes. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Unbelievers do not view Christ I'm sorry, unbelievers view Christ according to the flesh, their sin natures, because they are devoted to the gratification of their sin natures. They are devoted to external appearances, the lust of the eyes. What looks good to me? They are devoted to materialism, this life, and this existence. That's the boastful pride of life. And Jesus comes, he who is glorious in the heavens, that Philippians 2 verses 5 to 8 tells us, he made himself a servant. He humbled himself. He humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. That does not appeal to the sin nature, number one, to Satan, number two, and to the world, number three. And so in conclusion, this is this little arrow here. The unbeliever, they walk by sight, not by faith. And you might say, Pastor, you got that wrong. No, this is looking at it from the unbeliever's standpoint. They do not walk by faith. They walk by sight, don't they? What looks good to me. And remember, who's controlling their spiritual perception, their eyes? Satan is. And not only Satan, but their sin nature. They are acting, they are believing, they are choosing based on their nature. And everyone around them that walks with them, that lives with them, that informs them, that they inform others, the world. This affects who they are and what they do and what they believe. And consequently, how they view and what they think about Jesus is controlled by the sin nature and Satan and the world. And how they view others. How they view others is controlled by their sin nature, by Satan, and by the world. Number four, how does people's standard of knowing Christ change and apply to Paul? How did he change from having known Christ according to the flesh? How did he change from that to, yet now we know him thus no longer? Now, he doesn't say it here. Okay, 
He doesn't say, we knew Christ according to the flesh, and he doesn't say, now we know Christ according to the... He doesn't say that there. But we can fill in the blank. You're not supposed to walk by the flesh, you're supposed to walk by the Spirit. We do not know Christ according to the flesh, we know Christ according to the Spirit. How did he... How did that change happen? And Christian, how can that happen? How did that happen in you, Christian? How does the Lord do that now? Number one, they must have accurate knowledge about Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, verse 2. They must have accurate knowledge about Jesus. Go to chapter 4, verse 2 again. I know I just read this. I want to read it again because this will help you be a good witness for Christ. Chapter 4, verse 2. We have renounced the hidden things of shame, not living a life characterized, that's what walking means, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So, contrary to the false teachers, we're not going to hide things. We're not going to adjust things. Paul says we simply speak the truth. We make it known. We manifest it. And we do it knowing who's watching. God's watching. We do it in the sight of God. They have to have accurate knowledge about Jesus. And I'll get to this in a little bit. But that's one of my goals for us this month in my messages I'm bringing to you. To help you have accurate knowledge about Jesus so that you will be a good testimony for him. Number two, they must be born again. Is it enough to just have accurate knowledge? Nope. The demons have accurate knowledge, don't they? And they are not born again. Chapter 4, verse 6. Look there, I didn't read this verse. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. They must be born again. They hear the gospel, but what's Satan do to their eyes? Blinds it. They're in the dark. Their hearts are hardened. You give this gospel, you urge them to repent and believe, but the Lord is the one who must do a Lydia effect. Acts 16, 14. Open their hearts. And then they see, I am a sinner. They, they, they've seen the holiness of God that you've been teaching them in the gospel. They see themselves in light of that holiness. They see, woe is me, I am undone. I am a filthy sinner. I am lost. I can't save my, all this thing I thought I was going to help me. Philippians 3, remember that about Paul? Pharisee of the Pharisees, Hebrew of the Hebrew, Azela, those things that I thought were going to help me are worthless. They're manure. I mean, they're worse than manure. I mean, manure is good for something at least, right? He says, it's dung, it's worthless. I have to know Christ. I have to trust in Christ. And that's number three. They must turn to and trust in Christ. They must turn to and trust in Christ. Go to chapter 3, verse 14 to 16. 
Chapter 3, verse 14. Their minds were blinded, speaking of the Israelites. Until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, here it is, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. They must turn, turn to and trust in Christ. Number four. Number four. How is people's standard changed? Number four, they must be continually transformed. They must be continually transformed. This is not work salvation. Okay? I am not saying that you know Jesus starts it and you gotta finish it up. Here's the deal, Christian. If you're a Christian, isn't it great to be a Christian? We all agree with that. You know another reason why it's great to be a Christian? You never struggle with sin anymore. Now, if I really meant that, it's time to get a new pastor. Because what did John say in 1 John 1? If anyone says that he has no sin, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. Do you struggle with sin? We all better be raising our hands, right? We all do. We struggle with sin in our hearts. Satan tempts. We see the world and we're tempted by it. We go through struggles. How does a believer respond to those things? Two passages here. Chapter 3, verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, in other words, we've been born again, we've trusted Christ, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You've been born again, and the rest of your Christian life, it is an effort. It is a, it is a striving to grow more like Christ and less like the world. It's not a straight line, though, is it? Because you're going to grow like Christ, and then what's going to happen? You're going to stumble and you're going to sin. And you repent and you go back up. But it's also, it's, it's not a passive thing. What I mean by, what I'm talking about here is in verse 18, they are being transformed. It does not happen this way. Okay, I'm saved. Now I can just be like jello. God just put me in your mold and, you know, I'm just going to let loose and let God. Let, how's it go? Let, let, go. let go and let God, okay? That's not it. God does do the work, but you have a responsibility. And that was chapter 7, verse 1. You read that earlier, but let's go back. Chapter 7, verse 1. Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's how Paul changed from knowing Christ according to the flesh to now we know him thus no longer. And that is how people change today. That is how God changes people's standards today. When you give them right knowledge, when they're born again, when they turn from that sin and they trust in Christ and they're continually transformed to the image of his son. So for this month, 
as I said, the messages are going to better help you understand this truth. Your daily devotional. This week's daily devotional, I'm finishing up that series on prayer. But the last three weeks of this month, I'm going to be giving teaching about the person of Christ to better help you know who Jesus is so that you can better teach who Jesus is. But you know what? The better you know Christ, the more you're going to love him, the more you're going to trust him. And so it truly is a devotional tool. Not only do you need to learn from the messages, but you need to pray, Christian. You need to pray in your closets. You need to pray in your family that the Lord will change hearts. You need to pray with your church body that the Lord will save souls. Not only do you need to hear the word, and not only do you need to pray, but you must have a right understanding of how we do ministry, how Jesus wants us to serve him. Don't have a Corinthian philosophy of ministry. We've got to make things nice, otherwise people won't come. We've got to make it attractive, otherwise they won't be attracted. That's a Corinthian philosophy of ministry. What is Christ's philosophy of ministry? Make it known, chapter 4, verse 2. Make it known without holding anything back. Make it known in the sight of God. Pray that the Lord works. Call souls to repent and believe, and grow in the Lord Jesus yourself. Last, number five. My question for this message is, what is your standard? So what is Oral Bible Church's standard? What does it mean, coming back to chapter 5, verse 16, what does it mean to live for Christ and not yourself, verses 14 to 15? You might remember, at the beginning of this year, I preached from these verses. The love of Christ controls us, compels us, constrains us. What does it mean to live for Christ and not for yourself? We have two options. We either live for ourselves or we live according to the Spirit. What will happen if we live according to the flesh? Here's some things straight from the Corinthian church. Several things here. First, there will be divisions in the body. There will be divisions in the body because the focus is on who. What I want. What looks good to me? What, what the world likes? There will be distrust. The second one, distrust of one another and leaders. There will be distrust. I don't know if he, I don't know if she really meant that. Maybe she, maybe she, maybe he was thinking something different. I just don't know anymore. And there's distrust. A third thing: you'll be deceived by wrong teaching. And so you're not listening to truth, but you're going to find something else that seems right to you. How did Paul describe that in 2 Timothy 4? They seek after things that do what to their ears? Itching ears. You'll be deceived by false teaching. Next, number four, you'll be selfish rather than giving. You'll be selfish rather than giving. You'll be self-centered, number five. You'll be self-centered, not... Uh, you know, focus is what I, what I want, what I think. You're glorying in yourself, not the Lord. And, and last, there'll be a focus on externals. A focus on 
externals. How many different ways have we seen Christians and churches live this way, haven't we? It always results in bad things for their own heart, bad things if they're married in their marriages, if they've got a family, always bad things in their, their families, and always bad things in their churches. But what happens if we live according to the Spirit? Remember, we no longer know Christ according to the flesh. If you don't know him according to the flesh, you know him according to the Spirit. And so not only do you know Christ according to the Spirit, but you know others according to the Holy Spirit. What happens? Number one, you will persevere through difficult times. You will persevere through difficult times. In chapter 4, verse 16 to chapter 5, verse 5, he says, we do not lose heart. Our outward man is dying, but our inward man, what's happening to that? It's being renewed. You don't lose heart. You persevere through difficult times. Number two, you'll please, you will please Christ, whom you will someday give an account to. Look at verse 9, chapter 5. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Why? We must all, verse 10, give and we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Number three, you'll be controlled by Christ's love. You'll be controlled by Christ's love, not by externals and self-love, which we've been looking at here. In verse 12, we do not commend ourselves again to you, but we give an opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. And so verse 16, we regard no one according to the flesh. Number four, you will have a right view of people. A right view of people. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter who it is. Everyone is either in Christ or out of Christ. That's it. The rest is externals. Their skin color, their eye color, their hair color, their fingernail color. The foot color. I mean, isn't it silly? The kind of things that people judge by. How much money they have. I mean, what, what, what one person considers wealthy, you know, a Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk will say, you're a pauper, you're poor. You have billions of dollars. Judging by money is foolish. Judging by externals is foolish. We must look at people from Christ's perspective. Are you in Christ or are you out of Christ? And when you look at people from that perspective, it's no longer one of I'm over you in judgment, but I love you. If you're not in Christ, I love you and I want you to know the Lord Jesus. Let me tell you about him. If you are in Christ, I love you. You're my brother and sister. Many have often said over the years that the ground is what at the foot of the cross? It's level. We're all sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And it's true. Someday we'll all stand before the Lord if you're a Christian. It's not going to matter how much money you had, what your place, your home looks like. It's not going to matter what our church building looks like. It's going to matter, have we been faithful to the Lord? Have we loved Him? Have we loved each other? May the Lord help us to live according to the Spirit. What's your standard? Is it your sin nature or is it the Holy Spirit in His Word? Let's pray.